But I think the reality of that really set in while I was working in Cyprus. And I loved my coworkers, I loved my boss, but they kept saying like, this is a field that requires incredible amounts of patience. And frankly, I realized I'm very action oriented. I love trying and experimenting and failing. And you can't really do that in international diplomacy. It's very, very challenging. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. This is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career, the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. We get to bring on all kinds of experts, like Jenny Foss, who's a career consultant that helps people define and communicate their personal brands, or people that have pretty amazing stories, like Mike Bigelow, who identified his big value ads, and that took him on a very, very cool career path. These are people that are just like you, only they've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. And there are people just like our next guest, Catherine Minshew, the CEO of a company that you might have heard of called The Muse. The main thing that I do is work on The Muse. And I like to describe The Muse as the most trusted and beloved place to navigate your career. It's a company I started five and a half years ago. We now serve 50 million people every year across the United States. Over 700 companies use us to help them with employer branding, hiring, helping to reach great people, essentially. And the idea for the Muse is, what if you created a career platform that put the human at the center, that helped people to figure out what they want to do, go out and get it, find that job, get that promotion, negotiate that raise, and then succeed in the career that they have, be more fulfilled, acquire skills, develop relationships at the office. So after several years working on TheMuse.com, my co-founder and I decided to wrap it all up into a book, and that comes out on April 18th. In my conversation with Catherine, you're going to hear the red flags of what not to ignore throughout your career exploration, because there's some things that you know, we tell you all the time that you should, uh, should ignore especially here on Happy to Your Career. But then I want to help you understand what not to ignore. So listen for that. And then also why it's in your best interest to leave a career you're not 100% sure that you want. And I would say sooner rather than later. And uh, there's quite a few reasons. Some you might be able to imagine, but I'm not sure if you've ever heard of these before. And how to apply the scientific method to your career search as a way to be able to test and disprove what's going to work for you or what doesn't. And then lastly, I want you to listen for the real benefits of test driving, those potential career paths. Now, we've talked about that in other episodes, but I think you're going to absolutely love this. So that's, that's about halfway through. There was something missing in my career that I had some skills that I wanted to sharpen, that I wanted a different connection to the work that I was doing and I was feeling very stuck in my search. This is Rebecca. Just having trouble translating her experience and her skills into an opportunity that she was super excited about. Because I'm switching in the field, I'm not sure if people will consider my experience to be relevant. Hang tight for Rebecca's story later in the episode to learn how she finally found work that fit her. 
best place to start is Washington, D.C., which is where I grew up, more or less. My family moved there when I was about 11 years old. And I decided pretty quickly that my career was going to be in the Foreign Service or international relations of some sort. So as I grew up, I was absolutely in love with the idea of being an ambassador, a Foreign Service officer, an international woman of mystery, as it were. I don't know if you ever used to watch the television show Alias, but Jennifer Garner played this incredibly badass heroine. She spoke all of these languages, you know, was just as comfortable kind of kicking ass and working for the CIA as she was at a high-end cocktail party. And I remember thinking, I could do that. I could be her. That's my career. And of course, it didn't quite work out like that, for which I'm honestly very grateful. But after studying political science, learning French and some Turkish language, traveling extensively, I had the chance to work at an embassy in Nicosia, Cyprus, the U.S. embassy there, the regional security team. And, you know, it was an incredible experience, but it was not what I expected. And I think I realized that this idea I had of a foreign service career didn't quite match the reality. And so that set me just into this massive period of career exploration. I was thinking about different paths, different functions, different skill sets. I spent a lot of time on job boards. I learned a tremendous amount there, but I kind of knew it wasn't the right long-term path. And so as I was thinking about what's next, it really struck me how insufficient a lot of the existing career tools were. And, you know, just one very classic example is I was thinking about business strategy jobs. That was one of my ideas. And I went to a major job board, typed in, you know, because they all start with a giant blank search box, which is frankly a really intimidating place to it's start. It's depressing. <laughs> of course, exactly. It's like, unless you're absolutely sure exactly what title you want, that's a terrible place Then you're to screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. So I had no idea what to type into the box, but at the time I was like, all right, business strategy director, hit enter. And the first result that comes back says assistant store manager, 7-Eleven, Secaucus, New Jersey. And I remember thinking like, you have got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. And so it's from that experience and honestly the host of experiences that I started thinking about the concepts and the ideas that would become the muse. And frankly, we didn't get it right the first time. My co-founder Alex and I started sort of a V1. So we worked on a project essentially, eventually became a company of sorts, but it was a project at the beginning that was a career advice related community blog platform for professional women with two other women. It didn't really work out. And that was 10 months. That was some of the hardest of my life, but we learned some really core lessons. And so when we launched The Muse, Alex and I, and Melissa, our third co-founder in late 2011, we were kind of ready. And it's been a really wild ride over the last couple of years, but I think the timing was perfect because people were really looking for what we were offering. Well, let me ask you about a few things. First of all, let me dovetail back to Cyprus really quick. What were some of those red flag indicators that you were experiencing while you were there that caused you to start thinking, hey, this is in no way what I'm actually after? Yeah. So I think I was certainly aware intellectually that a lot of foreign service work is uh, fairly bureaucratic. Yeah. There are a huge number of people involved and progress is often measured in inches. But I think the reality of that really set in while I was working in Cyprus. And I loved my coworkers. I loved my boss. But they kept saying, like, this is a field that requires incredible amounts of patience. And frankly, I realized I'm very action oriented. I love trying and experimenting and failing. And you can't really do that in international diplomacy. It's very, very challenging to try and fail because the consequences 
are on a very large stage and trust is built over decades in some cases, not just years, months, days. And beyond that, something else that really struck me was yeah. the possibilities for advancement based on your age. And I had never thought about this before, but when you look at, let's just take the State Department as an example. If we are negotiating a trade deal or a policy agreement or diffusing some sort of international crisis with, let's say, our counterparts you know, in the UK, in Russia, in Azerbaijan, wherever it is, what would the perception on the other side be if you send a 25, 28, 32-year-old into the room in a senior position? It might not be good. And what was frustrating and what I realized is it doesn't matter how smart you are, how talented you are, how hard you work. There are certain roles and certain positions that you probably won't be able to serve in, especially in a very front-facing or forward-facing international capacity until you're a certain age, not because of your abilities or even because of the intrinsic desires of the State Department, but simply because if another country is going to make assumptions about you based on your age, that has to be taken into consideration. Anyway, I could go on, but I had colleagues telling me, look, you seem really smart. You seem really driven. Don't join the State Department straight away. Go do something else. Go work in the private sector for 10 years. Come back in your mid-30s, and you'll have a great career here then. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that's actually really great advice. Thank you. But it makes sense. And I realized that there are a lot of places where you can climb or move or take on positions much more quickly. Now, not to say that age isn't a factor because I still sometimes in my early 30s now, I still have people look at me and say, oh, you seem really young for this. But certain fields have even more sort of structural challenges than others. And I realized that that in particular was one that might be a challenge for me. So you looked at yourself and said, okay, some of these things aren't lining up, but there's a few that are missing and you chose to pay attention to that. But I see so many people out there that know that they have that information and they're aware of that. And I've talked to many of them. We've interacted with, you guys have been kind enough to send us lots of people from the muse that we have helped all kinds of stuff like that too. And we've talked to some of those people. A bunch of those people are probably listening right now and they haven't necessarily acted on that. So question number one, why did you choose to act on that? I guess you're kind of action oriented anyway, right? <laughs> so maybe the answer is built into the question, but any other reason beyond the obvious? And then the other question I would ask is what can other people do to not ignore that? Yeah. So I'll actually, I'll take them in reverse, which is that I think a really helpful exercise is to look ahead at your boss's boss, people in your path that are three, five, 10 years down the line and genuinely ask yourself, do I want that job? And am I willing to do what it takes day in, day out to get there? And that can be really eye-opening because those careers can seem very glamorous from afar. But once you're in the trenches, sometimes you realize, I don't know if that's really where I want to end up, or I'm not sure if the day-to-day -day it's going to require is worth getting there. And for me personally, I think that I was fairly willing to accept that maybe I had been wrong. And I think that's a trap that a lot of people fall into, is they want something so badly and they work hard towards it and they finally get it and they go, oh, uh oh, <laughs> this is uh -huh. not right. But what's hard is, you know, you feel a little like an idiot. And I know from personal experience, because I felt like an idiot, I have been telling everyone, this is my goal. I have worked hard. I have sacrificed. I have gotten here. 
at least step one on the path and there's a really beautiful clear path ahead of me and i think there's a lot of voices in culture that say you know you owe it to yourself to keep going or wouldn't it be embarrassing if you stopped now and for better or worse i'm kind of the type of person that ignores those and says you know if it's not the right path it's better to get off it now and to move and the, the other thing is i think people underestimate you know you feel like if you switch careers you've lost quote unquote lost everything lost everything that you worked for you've lost that experience it was it was wasted people have said things like that to me aren't you afraid you wasted all that time especially you know when i was still in the thick of it and those experiences have informed so much of what i've done as long as you focus on what have i learned where have I grown? What skills have I developed? I don't think it's a loss. It's still hard. But I think that part of what we wanted to do with the book, with the new rules of work, and with the news.com is to help people feel more supported and more comfortable making those big changes. Because it is scary, but I think if you know now that it's not the right long-term path, it's usually better to make a move sooner versus later. The one exception would be, you know, sometimes you can say, all right, if I invest two more years, I can get to X point and that will generally allow me to make a lateral move to Y, which is where I want to go. I think that's perfectly reasonable. But in the book, we really encourage people to take a hard look at their values, not what your parents think you should do, not what your friends think is a great job. Look at your values and say, does this path line up? And for me, I realized that there were things that I wanted more from my career. And I don't want to imply that it was an easy process. I sat on my couch for hours with books and pieces of paper and, you know, made different charts. And I was trying to get some sort of structure around the decision. I'm sure I cried about it a couple of times. But at the end of the day, if you know deep in your heart that this is not the right path, it is easier than ever before to change to a new path. Not easy, but easier than before and possible. And that was part of the experience for me that made me so passionate about helping other people make that same change. So here's what I love about that. And also, I'm going to give you a break. A little behind the scenes here. Catherine, you've been such a trooper because your voice is waning quickly and you're still pushing through. So I very much appreciate that. You had said in the book, and I'm just going to read off like a really short piece here. You said one of the new rules that you prescribed was your education taught you skills and gave you the experiences that brought you to where you are today. But now your past is a platform to spring forward from, not a ball and chain. And the opposite side of that or the other side of that coin is what you had just mentioned. So many of us have a tendency to say, if I change now, then I'm losing everything else. I'm losing all the stuff that was put into place before or that I worked for, all that emotion vested in or whatever else. And when I read that earlier and when you mentioned that, I thought of, are you familiar with sunk cost theory? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what it made me think of. And all the emotion that goes into that causes you to make decisions that aren't necessarily good for you in forward piece just because of what's already happened in the past or what you've already perceived you put in for effort and everything else like that. So I love that you are releasing us from that versus <laughs> trying to say, oh, you must keep going down that track. Absolutely. I think that it sometimes just helps to have somebody tell you there's another way. And it doesn't make it easy, but I really want people to know that it's possible to take a foundation of experiences, learnings, educations, roles, and change to another path, another role, and leverage a lot of what you've learned and use that and be able to look back in five years, 10 years and say, you know, I don't know that I could have been as good at what I do now 
if I had had those earlier experiences in a different field that might have seemed to someone else to be tangential or wasted. There was something missing in my career, that I had some skills that I wanted to sharpen, that I wanted a different connection to the work that I was doing, and I was feeling very stuck in my search. Remember Rebecca from earlier? Well, not only did she feel stuck in her career, but she had some personal struggles too. I was dealing with a long-term relationship and trying to bridge the gap there, but also I felt like I needed to be in a different setting to really hone my skills in a certain way, to get experience, and to have a different interaction with my work. When she signed up for coaching with HTYC, she gained accountability and direction. Getting the support, getting helping to focus on your goals and what are some tangible results that you can pull out of your goals is helpful. And I think preparing and practicing to walk into an interview and having someone there. Helped to get clarity and take action on the career change. And better clarity on what maybe what your weaknesses and strengths are if you're going into your interview so that you're holistically prepared. And to help you see the moving pieces in your search. Hey, congratulations, Rebecca, on figuring out what you really wanted and making the change to it. If you also want to figure out what work fits you and make it happen, well, guess what? We can absolutely help. All you have to do is go to happentoyourcareer.com and click on coaching to be able to apply. Send in your application right now. Or here's the other thing you can do. Just press pause and text my coach. That's M-Y coach to 44222. Pause right now and we'll send over the application right to your phone. Having someone there who can hear what you're saying, but then also can see what's in between the lines. To pull that out and to give your job search a boost is invaluable. Let me ask you a little bit about the going forward piece then, because I very much, just like you, I spent hours and hours sitting with books and making charts and Excel spreadsheets and all kinds of stuff like that, right? Like that's just the type of person I am. And it sounds like we've got that in common. But what can someone do if they're really struggling? How can they actually get started if they're really struggling in this figure it out limbo? Yeah. So I think, and this is the focus of the entire first third of the book. So I'll try and summarize it quickly here for listeners. But what we suggest is that you first start to lay out a list of your values. We have a process called the Muse Method, and I won't go through the entire thing here, but at its core, it's thinking about, as I said earlier, what do you value? And so for example, someone who values autonomy and independence, creativity and flexibility is going to have a different ideal path than someone who values prestige, compensation, stability. You know, all of these things in and of themselves can be good, but you have to really ask yourself, what's most important to me? And you can also use your friends, family, and colleagues to help inform this. So for example, I love suggesting, and again, we have a couple of exercises about this, but suggesting find five people that you respect. Ideally, at least two to three of them you've worked with closely and ask them things like, when have you seen me most focused and happy? What sort of activities do you feel like I enjoy? What lights me up professionally? And you don't have to worry about path. I think it was very clear to me, like I loved reading about international relations, loved history, you know, discussing politics. That's great. But those aren't the functions you play in a day-to-day role in the job. Is it interacting with other humans? Is it having control over what I do when? 
Is it really diving deep into numbers and coming up with insights from the analysis that no one else has seen? And you can start both thinking about yourself, but also getting that outside input to understand both the type of tasks and functions that you enjoy and also the type of values that are important. And then we help people run through a method of essentially researching and assessing various paths against those values. It's almost like the scientific method, right? You have a hypothesis and you need to go out there and collect information to prove or disprove. And firstly, you have to be willing to disprove because you know it can be painful to say, I wanna be a branding consultant. Ah, wait, just a second. Alex, actually my co-founder, perfect example. She originally thought that branding might be something she loved. And when she sat down with someone at a major global consumer packaged goods organization, they talked about how their team had spent time deciding between 20 different shades of blue. And Alex realized, oh my goodness, that would absolutely drive me up the wall. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it's not that this other person loved that part of the job, but they were just like, eh, yeah, it's fine. You know, I think there's also a theory that the good things are kind of good generically, but the bad things are what you really want to think about. Like, what's the negative part of the job that you're okay with? The part that you're like, yeah, you know, that's not my favorite part, but I get it versus what would really hurt, really hold you back. Anyway, a much more complicated process in the book that I'm not fully doing justice to because again, it's about 100 pages long, but those are some kind of tips that help people see there are ways to get unstuck. I am curious about the values piece for you and what were some of those biggest values as you've progressed through your career? So as you were starting to discover some of these things back in Cyprus or as you made some progression and started doing some of the projects and had a bunch of that growth where stuff wasn't working out in the way that you anticipated, what were some of those values that you have learned about yourself or the things, I like how you said it, what's most important? You didn't just say what's important, what's most important to you along the way? So I'll say first and foremost that my day-to-day matters to me intensely. And that's not necessarily true of everyone. Some of the people that I worked with in particular at the State Department, or I had also worked at the World Health Organization yeah. in Geneva very briefly as a student intern. Some of those people were, you know, they were able to be very fixated on the large mission of their work and the organization. And that could obscure some of their frustration with the day to day. For me, in terms of those values, I'm very action oriented, as I said, but I love to feel like things are happening and moving and being pushed forward. And, you know, a startup, frankly, is a really good fit for that reason because of the pace of change. I love to feel like I'm constantly learning. So when I do the same thing over and over again, at some point it starts to drive me up the wall, even if it's something I've enjoyed in the past. And so I really valued a career where my day-to-day would be varied, where I would be constantly stretched and pushed and made a little uncomfortable. And then I really also value autonomy and control, meaning that I will work 90 hours a week for the muse without complaint, but I like to know that I decide when I'm working. I really get frustrated when I had been at previous roles and someone said, I'm going to need you to stay in the office till this time, or when I thought I was going to get out early and then someone else arbitrarily decided I had to stay really late. It's one thing if I decide or you know, the work is important and it needs to get done. And for some reason, that to me is just very easy. But I'm probably less patient than a normal person at feeling like someone else is trying to control 
how I spend my time and energy. So no, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday for, for you. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. Exactly. You know, I could make myself come in on Saturday, but yeah, yeah, it's a bit hard to hear that from your figurative office space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very much the same way. So <laughs> I guess that's probably how I ended up CEO roles in the past too. So that totally can identify with that. One other thing that I wanted to ask you about, actually a couple other things, and you have inside the book here, and I'm actually like flipping to the page so that I don't get this wrong here. You mentioned, and we talked briefly about it, but test driving your career paths. And I wanted to dig into that just a tiny bit. Because I think that's incredibly important because, as you mentioned earlier, we get this sort of hypothesis. And a lot of people have a tendency to latch onto it as, look, this is the thing for me. And when I get to the thing, it's going to be awesome. And then you get to the thing and then you're like horrifically depressed because it's not exactly what you thought it would be. So a different approach is, I believe, required there. And it sounds like you very much prescribe that too. So what do you mean by test driving first? And then how can somebody get started doing that? Yeah. So it really depends on the chosen career path, but there are a number of different ways that you can sort of take the temperature, dip your toe in the pool, whatever, use your analogy of choice yeah. before you kind of face plant into your new career. And I think it is so, so important because exactly as you said, once you're in it, it's harder to make a change. Again, not impossible. I still think you should do it no matter how in you are, but it's obviously better to know ahead of time. So a few different things. And why don't I start with the sort of most intense all the way to some of the easier paths. So on the more intense end of the spectrum, you can, obviously, if you're still a student or at an age or in a place in your career where that makes sense, internships can be useful because they're finite, they're three months. No one's going to look at you askance and say, oh, you were only there for three months. Of course you were. It's an internship. It's a great sort of low risk way. Now you do sacrifice some comp, but I've deliberately in some cases encouraged people if they're really not sure, it can be not a bad idea to go that route because you get that trial period. Similarly, one of the stories we tell in the book is a friend of Alex and I's who was interested in making a move into a social media career. She loved social, was very active personally, and felt like it might really leverage a lot of the creativity that she felt like she didn't have in her current job. And so instead of making a full-scale career change, she started by finding, I believe it was a local nonprofit or small business, and essentially offering, you know, hi, I'm looking to make a transition into social media, and I want to build up my experience. Can I work with you for three months? on your social presence. Here's some examples of what I would do. Here's a bit more about who I am. And she very quickly found someone who said, yeah, that sounds great. I think especially if you're putting out a picture for a business or a nonprofit or an organization of how you can help them, and obviously social media is, is lends itself very well to that approach. But what she found by actually doing it, nights, weekends, a little bit on her lunch hour, was that there were certain things about that as a career that were unexpected that she didn't love as much. At the same time, if she had decided to pursue that as a career, she now has more relevant experience under her belt while she hasn't quit her full-time paying job in a different field. So that's one of the more intense ways you can kind of test drive a new career. On the less intense ways, I'm a huge proponent of informational interviews. This is when you sit down with someone in your chosen path and ask them, you know, what do you do in a typical day? What sort of people would love this job? What sort of people would hate this job? What are some of the worst things that you have to deal with? And what do you think it takes to overcome those? These sorts of informational interviews can be really valuable, but you've got to focus not just on the positive, 
but on the grind, the day-to-day, -day, the tougher stuff, and the right person will help you. And in fact, when we started profiling employees on themuse.com and our company profiles, I wanted to get that feel of taking an informational interview online so that you can actually see. So that's also, you know, if you're looking for a, for example, let's say you want to switch into sales or engineering, we have thousands of employees in those roles profiled online, and you can listen to their videos. If you don't have somebody in your immediate network you can talk to, and I find the combination of in-person and online research can give you some sense of what a career is actually like. Again, going past the high level, oh, did this big success, I won this deal, and making sure you hear about, for sales, the day-to-day -day rejection, and that you're okay with that. And then finally, some businesses will let people shadow employees for a day, or for a week. So if you do have flexibility, it can be interesting to think about setting something up, taking a vacation day, and literally stepping into the shoes of a future career. I know it seems like a lot of work, and I'm not saying that this is something that everyone is able to do. I mean, it really does depend on your current role, your financial situation, where you are in your career. But one of the reasons that I encourage people to at least think about it is that the time spent upfront, even if it's a week, a couple days, three months of nights and weekends hours, if it saves you making the wrong move, that's a really good thing. I so very much appreciate that. And we spend a lot of time on this show and our company teaching some of these pieces. Absolutely agree with that. That is phenomenal. I just wanted to ask you two more really quick questions before we let you go. And I so appreciate you being a trooper and practice what you preach on doing the stuff, even when it's hard, even when you're <laughs> sipping tea and you know losing your voice and everything else in between. So... <laughs> I was just going to say, I just hope people know that this isn't what I normally sound like. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing is you still sound pretty decent. So if I hadn't mentioned something, nobody would probably ever know. But that's kind of a dovetail in the next thing I wanted to ask you really quick. And by the way, the book, the book is The New Rules of Work, the modern playbook for navigating your career. That's the one that we've been talking about this entire time. And good stuff in it, to say the least. Kind of off the wall question that I wanted to ask, though, is... I know that you've seen a lot of changes in terms of what work even looks like and will look like. And then along with that, we've seen like how you go about getting work changes as well. And these new rules of work. So how long do you think before these rules continue to evolve? Honestly, I believe they're evolving every single day. I think we are seeing major changes as each new technology enters the mainstream so, you know, people use Google Hangouts and Skype interviews differently yeah. today than they did three years, five years ago. Oh, yeah. I think those next things develop. And as Generation Z starts to enter the workplace, they're going to continue to exert that change. So my personal take is that generally within about a three-year window, there's, call it 80% consistency. Partially because people themselves are a bit resistant to deeper change. And so you can assume <laughs> that, you know, if something held true, two years ago, especially around the human to human interactions that make up a lot of the workplace, there's probably at least call it 80%, like the bulk of truth today. But I think it's important to always be aware to how things change. And so, you know, it's interesting as we looked at kind of collecting all of the wisdom, the stories, the experiences from the last five and a half years of themuse.com and putting that into a book, a single point in time, a giant heavy piece of printed paper that people will sit down with on their couches, we really had to be cognizant of that. And I would say 
you know, my plan is to make sure that the book is updated fairly frequently. And then we obviously have the website as a way to kind of keep up to the minute. But I think that, you know, anyone who thinks that the rules of the workplace are changing isn't really swimming with the tide. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. I love that you are making those plans to update the book and then have other methods to be able to help people continue and keep pace with it. That is so awesome. Way to go. Like virtual pat on the back. You're in New York and I'm at the opposite end of the US, but high fives and virtual pat. Thank you. Hey, so go check out the book. Like I said, I've read through a whole bunch of different parts of it and I kind of cherry picked and what I read was awesome. So highly recommend it. And where can you find it? And where can people find out more about you, the muse? Where can people get more about your stuff? Huh? Yeah. So the book is called The New Rules of Work. It's a modern playbook for navigating your career. Hopefully find it everywhere. So Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com or in stores, Project Indie, your local bookstore. If they don't have it, ask for the manager and say, are you carrying this book? And hopefully they will. That's actually apparently a great thing for book sales. So, you know, if you do that, I'll be waving and high-fiving you from New York City. But um, no, I mean, we're launching the book nationally and we expect for it to be in almost every major retailer online and off. So hopefully that'll be pretty straightforward. We also have a page on themuse.com, themuse.com slash the new rules that has excerpts and, you know, some of the worksheets, more information if people want to kind of dig in. And then for me, I'm on Twitter at Kamin, K-M-I-N. Themuse.com is literally just that, T-H-E-M-U-S-C.com. And I would love to hear people's feedback and have them engage with the site. Read the book. Tell me what you think. Leave a review if you like it. Leave a review if you don't like it. Or just email me and tell me. But so far, the feedback has been pretty good. So, you know, crossing my fingers and toes on that. But yeah, some of the best things we learn is from people who read The Muse, have read the book, and kind of push us on our thinking, add their ideas, give us their feedback. So I really would love for people to engage and let me know what they think. Hey, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and making the time and coming on our show and sharing all the stuff from test driving to figuring it out and everything in between. That is awesome. Thanks so much, Catherine. Thank you. I've had a lot of fun. So I'm really glad we could do this. Hey, really hope you enjoyed that. If you're ready to create and live a life that is unapologetically you, I want you to check out our ultimate guide to using your strengths to get hired. Find your signature strengths to be able to do what you love, what you're good at, and bring value to your clients, your customers, your organization, and everybody else. And we teach you how to be able to leverage that too. So all you have to do for that is you can pause right now and text my strengths, that's M-Y, strengths, plural, to 44222. Or you can go over to happentoyourcareer.com and click on resources and find the strengths guide. I think you're going to love it. We've got even more in store for you coming up next week on Happen to Your Career. Take a listen. I went abroad my junior year to Spain, and that was way outside my comfort zone to do. I was terrified, I have to say. This was pre-internet. I had never been anywhere. I'd never been out of the country. I'd never seen really pictures of out of the country. In those days, it was a much bigger deal, I think. And it was scary experience to do, but once I got over the threshold, it was a pretty amazing experience, I have to say. It was eye-opening to me, just like that there was this other world over there, and you know they were getting along fine, and they spoke this different language, and they did all this cool stuff. I could try to learn the language. It was just so fascinating to me. All right, all that and plenty more next week, right here on Happen to Your Career. Until then, I am out. Adios.
You can say it's going to be a musing episode. <laughs> it's going to be a musing. <laughs> Sorry. I broke the flow. Uh, I'll be back in my hole. You broke the flow. <laughs> I think you killed the flow and then you like stomped on it. You like grounded into the ground and then like, like you're, I don't know. What action is that? Like somebody is putting out a cigarette or something. I don't know. Like. <laughs> <laughs>